Father, we thank you that Jesus is our living hope and that he has risen from the grave. Lord, as we now turn to your word, would you encourage us? And God, would you challenge us and would you fuel our hope? In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, would you turn and read with me from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 50 through 58. The Apostle Paul says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. On the calendar, the resurrection of Jesus is remembered on Easter once a year, but it truly affects every day. It is more than just a day on the calendar. The resurrection of Jesus is more than just something that is wrapped up in a holiday, remembered with eggs and a bunny. It instead changes everything and impacts everyone. Now that might seem like some hyped up statement, but truly the resurrection of Jesus does change everything and it does impact everyone, whether we believe it or not. Today we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ through the lens of the Apostle Paul and his writing here to the church in Corinth in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Paul wanted the church to live in hope, both when it came to the present and when it comes to the future. The resurrection was the basis, the foundation of such hope. In verse 50 here, we read again, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. How can we have hope? Well, we can have hope, Paul says here in chapter 15, because it's built on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the church at Corinth, some were struggling with the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of believers. Paul here speaks of a change in verse 50 that must occur because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You see, we are perishable, corrupted mortals because of sin. We all need to be changed, and that is why Jesus came from heaven to earth. In John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13, the apostle John says, But as many as received him, speaking of Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Jesus came so we could be changed, that we might become children of God. And Jesus gave that right uh, to adopt us into his family freely to those who would receive him and, and those who believe in his name. And we believe, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. When we believe that truth, we now are given the right to become children of God. We're adopted into the family of God. In John 
in chapter 1, verse 13 again, says when this change happens, we become children of God. We're, we're born not merely of man, but now we're born of God. In John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus said these familiar words to some of us, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus is talking about a spiritual resurrection. There's no way to have our souls made alive than through Jesus. And Paul tells us here in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, that Jesus is a life-giving spirit. He says the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last man, speaking of Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. And when we were made alive in Jesus, we were born again. Uh, something happens. What happens? Well, first, no longer are we in our sins. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. But those who believe that Jesus has risen, has been raised, those who believe that are no longer in their sins, and their faith is not worthless. Instead, it's powerful. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. And so, the spiritual resurrection means we are children of God, we're born of God, and we no longer um, are in our sins. We're no longer guilty. Uh, we're made right with God. And forever we are free from the power of sin and death. Not only that, we're also given the Holy Spirit through the life-giving Spirit of Jesus Christ. Because of the resurrection, those who believe now have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them. John 7, 38-39 says, He who believes in me, as the Scriptures said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this Jesus spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And Jesus was speaking of his death and his resurrection. And so the Spirit would come. And now we as believers have the Spirit living in us. These are all aspects of the hope that we have. This is all part of the spiritual resurrection. We also have a changed destiny. You see, our destiny is now to be with Jesus forever as those who are children of God. In John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus was trying to encourage his disciples. He had just told them that he would be going away, referring to uh, the cross, the resurrection, his eventual ascension into heaven. And he tells them this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and also believe in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus will go and prepare a place for those who belong to him. So the hope of the resurrection is, is not just for now, but also for later. It's not just for the present, but it's also for the future. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all of all men most to be pity. You see, our hope is both in the present, but also the future. And so what is that future going to look like? Well, Paul refers to that and how our hope is fulfilled in the return of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says here in verse 51 through 53, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. 
For the perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. Paul first says, behold. He wants us to listen. He wants to grab our attention because he has an important announcement to make that we cannot miss. Jesus, who has died and who, has, who was buried and has rose again on the third day, appeared to many over 40 days, and he ascended into heaven and will return one day. He is coming again. And when he comes, Paul says, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, in the blink of an eye, exceedingly fast, literally in a fraction of a second, almost instantaneously, as Jesus returns, we will be changed. Jesus' return ends our present existence and the beginning of our future forever existence. And Jesus' return could happen. It could happen at any moment, any hour. And so what does this mean as far as the resurrection? The resurrection of followers of Jesus and, and also those who do not believe because it impacts both followers and also those who do not follow Jesus. Paul spoke of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 20 through 24, he says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and after that those who are Christ at his coming. And then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power. Paul believed in the resurrection of Christ and that Jesus is the first fruit of those who have died. He's the leader. He's the first from the dead. And then Paul believed that all would be resurrected. So let's think through what does this all mean? I think first it's good to remember that Paul believed that when a Christian would die, they would be with Christ, Philippians 1, 23. Not only that, to be absent from the body for Paul was to be at home with the Lord as a believer, which we find in 2 Corinthians 5, 8. So though the body would be in the grave, our spirits departs from the body, our soul does, ending our existence here on earth. The physical part of us sleeps or returns to the ground. Uh, it came from until the resurrection when Jesus Christ returned, while the spiritual part of us uh, relocates to heaven at that time. And this is where Jesus is now. This is where he is presently. And so Jesus told the dying thief on the cross, if you remember back in Luke 23, 43, today you will be with me in paradise. We also see martyrs pictured in heaven crying out to God to bring justice on the earth back in Revelation chapter 6. You see, Paul believed that Christ, after his resurrection, lived on earth and he ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God and as Lord of all, that one day Christ will return to earth to those who are his, to bring them unto himself. Paul believed that those who were dead when Christ returned would rise first. It tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then Paul believed this to be the resurrection of the dead, in which Christ, Paul says, will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself, Philippians 3.21. What about Christians on earth during that time when Christ returns? Which Paul is referring to here to in chapter 15. 
Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. You see, the apostle John says about Christ coming for the Christian as well in 1 John 3, 2, that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. This here is the completion of redemption for the believer in Christ as believers receive new bodies fit for the kingdom of God. It's not merely our old bodies all patched up. It's a new body that's linked with our old, yet it is different from it. You see, God will make his dwelling. God will return. Jesus will come and he will make his dwelling with resurrected people on the resurrected earth, the new heavens and the new earth. The first heaven, uh, Revelation 21 verse 1 says, and the first earth will pass away, giving way to a new heaven and a new earth. I love what Randy Alcorn says, as Jesus is God incarnate, so the new earth will be heaven incarnate. God will relocate his people and come down from heaven to the new earth to live with them. We will be with God forever. This is the gospel. We get God. If this is not one's hope, though, if, if one does not believe in Jesus as their Savior, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, If the dead are not raised, let us eat, let us drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul is saying to those who do not believe in the resurrection of Christ and who do not believe in the hope of the gospel, go ahead and self-indulge all you want. Eat, drink, and, and be merry, loving the world and its ways. For if you cannot come to terms with death and, and what follows, then that is all you truly have, Paul says. And that is what some do, never turning to the truth of the gospel. And to that one, at death, their human spirit goes to a conscious existence in hell or, or Hades, which is described by Jesus as a place of torment and agony and flames in John 16. They're separated from God forever. But Paul continues in our text today to talk about hope, to talk about victory that we have because of Jesus' resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, 54, he says, But when the perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on the immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. You see, when Jesus returns and this great change, this great transformation happens, to followers of Jesus, death will be swallowed up in victory. Paul says back in verse 26 of this chapter, the last enemy that will be abolished, done away with, is death. Paul borrows some words here in verse 54 from the prophet Isaiah, back in Isaiah 25, 8, and I love it. It says, he will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. He will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. What a great promise for children of God that God will overcome death. And here in 1 Corinthians 15, we read about the fulfillment of that very word. Then I love the next verse. In Isaiah 25, 9, the prophet says, It will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. You see, the great news of the gospel is that we get God and we will be with him forever because death has been defeated by Jesus. In verse 55, Paul continues and he says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Paul once again borrows some words from another prophet, the prophet 
Hosea. Over hundreds of years ago, Hosea uh, was calling for death to do its worst as, as an act of judgment. But Paul takes those words here to taunt death himself. I love that. Uh, let us as the church this morning tum- come together saying to this virus, this pandemic that we're experiencing right now, that the gates of hell cannot stop the church. And there is no way you will either. That, that's the spirit of Paul here as he taunts death. And, and that's the spirit we should have as believers because Jesus has overcome the grave. Jesus is victorious and he will defeat death when he returns and he will raise his children to life. Death still has its sting. We see it today, but we don't have to be fearful. We don't have to be given to fear. In fact, Paul says here in verse 56 through 57, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the fatal sting of death touches humans through sin. And what makes sin sinful is the law of God. The law of God is good, and because Jesus overcame sin and because he fulfilled the law, death cannot hold us down. Death is still an enemy because it robs us of of mortal life, but it is not something we should fear because it is the door. It's the way to immortal life with Jesus. So yes, the sting is there. We, We see the sting all around, but we do not have to be afraid. And so Paul tells the church, in light of the present hope we have, in light of the future hope that we have, this victory that Jesus has purchased for us impacts us as the church, even now. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, in verse 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Paul says here, because of that hope that we have in the present and also in the future, He encourages us as the church to be faithful, to be faithful in the here and now. Don't let these times we are in cause us to throw in the towel, um, but instead let us remain steadfast, believing in the gospel, immovable in our faith in Jesus Christ. Don't be idle. Uh, Continue to work for the Lord. Uh, Be fully active in living for Jesus right now, right where you're at. Live in the present with our destiny, with our future as believers in view, knowing that your work for Jesus is not in vain. For the new heaven and the new earth, we will enjoy the fruits of our labor for Jesus Christ. And so today, as we close, where is your hope? As you're sitting there in your home, where is your hope resting? Who are you trusting in to get you through this day? I know for some of us during this time, we we might have come to the end of our rope, or maybe we feel like we're almost there. We're in need of something else to cling to, to to get us through this time. I want you to know that that Jesus wants to hold you up. He he wants to hold you during this time. I want to encourage you to cling to Him. Um, May your hope rest in Him during this hour. Know that He loves you. Uh, He loves you so much that that He came and he, He laid His life down for you. He conquered death through the resurrection so that you could have a steady hope, a hope here for the present, but also the future. The world cannot give you that. Only Jesus can. And so believe in Him.
today.